Episode 212 of the PJ Archive is an interview I did with the British-based Italian TV personality and choreographer Bruno Tonioli. Bruno, who memorably danced in the video for Elton John's hit song I'm Still Standing, went on to choreograph videos, stage shows and tours for artists such as Sting, Tina Turner, The Rolling Stones, Freddie Mercury, Boy George, Bananarama and Duran Duran. He was an original judge on Strictly Come Dancing from 2004 until 2019 and he's been on the judging panel of Dancing with the Stars since that started in 2005. In 2023 he also became a judge on Britain's Got Talent. My interview with Bruno took place at his London home in 2005 when Strictly Come Dancing was only on its third series. How did you get involved in the programme? Obviously you're an experienced choreographer, but how did they ask you to uh, I think they had a pool of people that were qualified and had experience in the industry and obviously with the right background. But I had to screen test. Oh, did you? They screen tested a lot, a lot of people right. and I did about three or four screen tests and I didn't really know if I was going to do it until about a week before the show. And it's one of those things that you, you know, nobody really expected it to be so big. It, it just, we just went, oh, well, that's a good idea. You know, they offered me the job and, you know, well, it's different. And, you know, let's have a go. But nobody really knew that it was going to capture the imagination of the public yeah. in such a way. But not just here. And then I got offered America after. Called Dancing with, is the same show that the BBC, that ABC right. bought from the BBC. Right. And it was number one show in America. And now the third series here is really, really big and it's great fun. It's a great show to do and it's it's one of the few shows on television when you can actually have the whole family around and there is something for everybody, the the children, the grandmother, the father, the mother. It really is a broad spectrum appeal. It's fun, it's glamorous, you've got great music. It's a good good variety show. I don't really consider it a reality show because there's nothing... The reality aspect of it is the competition, yeah. but it is, it is not really... I wouldn't put it on the same bracket as uh, the Big Brothers, yeah. the, you know, it, it is not a reality show. For me, it is a glamorous entertainment show. Now, you're obviously a very experienced choreographer, yeah. but did you know much about that particular kind of dancing? One imagines not. When you are a choreographer and you work in many different... Field, mm. film, theatre, television, uh, advertising. You, you, you have a broad knowledge of dance. You have to because you're like a painter. You need all the colours mm. because you never know what your next commission is mm. going to be. Mm-hmm. But in that show, we were cast for our personality and, and what we could give as individual to the show. We give our own. Len is the proper ballroom teacher. Mm-hmm. What he does is teaches ballroom. Myself, Arlene and Craig are professional choreographers, so we give our professional opinion based on what we see, and you may or may not agree with me, which is fine. Mm-hmm. Obviously, we come from the performing arts world, so hopefully we provide as well a, an entertaining side to it and still define what's wrong and what's right, in our opinion, with the couples dancing. Uh, but people don't have to agree. <laughs> did you know the other judges? Yes, I did. I did Arlen, because I used to dance. I danced with Arlen. I've known mm. Arlen since 1976. Mm. 
So we're very good friends. It just happened that you know they chose both of us mm. to work together. But then we've been friends for years, and I danced for her in many times. And the most well-known thing I did for her was this video for Elton John called "I'm Still Standing." Yeah, brilliant. Yeah. And that was the you know we did in the south of France. I was dancing. She was the choreographer. And then over the, I used to help her when, with hot gossip when hot gossip first started. I used to kind of help her with the makeup and the look of the group because I was in the theatre. So. We've been friends for 30 years, so he's, uh, Craig uh, is a great guy, he's, he's actually very laid back, he's totally mm. different than the image portrayed on television, you know, that he's kind of switches off somehow when, he to, when he's on the show he becomes like somebody else, but he's actually the nicest, kindest, very generous, laid back person, and Leonard didn't know, and he's a screen, we had such a laugh in Los Angeles, because he was in Los Angeles with me as well, you know, you arrive... You know, and you say, oh my God, Hollywood, you know, you get there, the limo arrives, and you arrive, CBS parking lot, and you, the car, it's just unbelievable, you've got like, this kind of, you know, 100,000 pounds, car Bentley, Porsches, Rolls Royces, Aston Martin, I mean, name it, and there's the names, we feel in the same studio where they did American Idol, so there's Simon Cowell, Matthew Litko, and you see this kind of huge car, and then there's my name, and then... So, oh my God, I've made it. I mean, for a treat. Get the next day, Len and I. Where is our car? Where is our car? And it looked like something that Alan Partridge's mother would have driven. <laughs> so I said, well, I think, Len, we are not quite there yet. <laughs> he's not. He's not I, I don't think we should get excited yet. I think we still have a, a return ticket for the moment. Mm. BBC is not the same. You know, he's, you know, he's not um, Simon Cowell of Sharon Osbourne. Mm. You know, because I would have the Rolls Royce outside and a swimming pool, <laughs> and then far from that, I still, I still have a mortgage, and you know, <laughs> I'm sick of it. <laughs> Simon, give us a check. <laughs> but it, no, they treated us fantastically anyway. It was a fantastic time. On the English version, yeah. all of you judges seem to have a role in a way. You seem to be the nice guy that's positive about everybody, and Craig seems to be the bad guy who used to uh, be the boo and hiss at everybody. Were you actually told this is how no, like, no, like no. Simon Cowell has got to be the No, we are, we are not told anything. I think they cast us for our personalities. Mm. And obviously they chose personalities that balance each other. But it's actually a misperception. They think I'm nice. Mm. But if you actually analyse it, if you go what I say, mm. my comments are probably some of the most <laughs> bitchy of the lot. Yeah. But they just somehow they think I'm nice. But I mean, I told them that they're like sack of potatoes, a post box. I mean, the thing, you know... Maybe because I paint a picture that is quite amusing. Mm. So instead of becoming a personal, it gets diverted. Yeah. So you see the picture and you just kind of forget about the individual while Craig mm. just goes... Ah, rah, rah. <laughs> he, he, but, you know, you, you need that. Mm. You need that balance to make the show entertaining. The thing, we don't have a role. You, know, you, you say what you think. See, None of us are expected to do anything yeah. we, don't, we don't agree with. We mm. just, it's not scripted. What you see is what you get. And, and obviously we're all very strong personalities and, and, and is, is, is the two opposite that are so evident and, and that gives you that impression. But in fact, we're having a giggle. As soon as we're off, we're in the bar having a drink. Do you? I mean, do you never clash? Oh, yes. Do your personalities never clash? No, no but you, do the jo- you, you have to leave. That, that's the job. Yeah. You've got to, you know, once you... It's like, you know, like Judy Garland used to say, give the people what they want, go home and have a burger. You <laughs> cannot bring yourself... You know, can you imagine if I'm 24 hours a day like that? It'll drive you insane. <laughs> you know, you've got to be able to, to, to switch off. Mm. 
much is made of the fact that the judges are rowing a lot on X Factor and your ratings are creeping up on them gradually. Mm. Do you think the fact that you know you judges get on very well, you have a good rapport, is helping you against them? Well, he's, he's, um, he's a different... You know, you, you, you cannot uh, base yourself on somebody else. Mm-hmm. I think that your strength as a performer come in being unique in your original. Mm-hmm. That's the only way you can make an, Im- uh, an impression is to be honest, unique, original and entertaining. If you try to be what other people do, you're neither them nor you. Mm. So it doesn't really work. And I think our chemistry works for what we are. Mm. We are not Simon, we are not Sharon, we are not Louis. And um, we are working our own way. You see what I mean? Have you met them at all? Have you, you oh, Simon them? is a mate of mine. I've known him. Oh, yeah. He's a, I know Simon and his family for 20 years. Oh. He's a very, very good friend. And uh, do you sort of have little digs at each other? because? Of his well, no, because program? I think he does a very good job. And he, and he told me I, I do a very good job. You see, I, do, I really respect somebody that is successful. And nobody gave anything to him. Mm. He's made his own success. So whatever people says... You know, they just should shut up because mm-hmm. I wish I had that kind of determination and, and that kind of skill to become so successful and mm-hmm. so wealthy. Mm-hmm. You know, I have all the skills, and he's, Simon, you know, Simon has done it for himself. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you've got to respect that. And he's a very nice guy, and he's very generous, great family. His mother is delightful. The brother is hysterical, Nicholas, mm-hmm. such a nice guy. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he's an achiever. And people like that, you know, are to be admired. I admire him. He's a great guy. A couple of weeks ago, Frank Skinner on his chat show oh, yeah. said that he loves the programme because he likes watching Bruce Forsyth because he says it's like watching a man carry 50 plates in his hand and you never know what he's going to drop <laughs> them. <laughs> oh, my God, bitch. <laughs> What's it like working with Bruce? Cause he, he's well, I work for three years. This is the third series, and, and, and I'm very near Bruce all the time. You know, he's mm, like I'm right. the next to, mm. and he's a, he's, a, he's a fantastic guy. He's, a, he's one of those people that has been doing anything. How can you not like Bruce Forsyth? Bruce is a, he's a legend. You know, mm. he really is a tele, in this mm. country is a television legend. Does anything ever happen underneath the desk? Do you ever get kicking each other? Well, sometimes we do. Sometimes we kick each other. Really. <laughs> Yeah, but because there's, there's such little space and there's so much junk underneath yeah. and the paddles, you know, and there's all the business with the paddles. Yeah. And, but you have to be so switched on in that mm. show yeah. because, you know, you really have to focus mm. that you don't even realise. I mean, you know, they could put a fire under my ass, I wouldn't know, because, it's, you know, you have to be so mm. on the moment that, you know, once you're on, it just goes like this, an hour and a half, it goes in, you know, there isn't really much time to, to you've got to stay with it. And what kind of difference has this show made to your life? Because before, with all respect, very experienced, very successful, but not known. Yeah, so yeah. How has it changed your life? Uh, well, it, it does because it is... Um, I don't know, because it's kind of... It's all happened very, very quickly. It seems that everything you've done, you know, and, and I've done quite a lot, is it's just irrelevant. Mm-hmm. Because it all is Bruno Strictly Come Dancing. That's really yeah. what everybody... It seems to kind of... Uh, <laughs> You know, taking you know, everything else you've done for thirty years doesn't count. Yeah, yeah. And you know, I've, been, I've done some pretty big things and mm. everywhere, all over the world, in America, everywhere. So it is good because obviously, if you give pleasure to people and people like what you do, is always nice. Mm. I, I am extremely flattered. I mean, mm. I cannot believe it. Mm. Uh, but at the same time, uh, that's what I've taken on now: a West End show and a film, just to, because just to remind myself. Mm. <laughs> That, you know, uh, uh, there is something else going on. Mm. And I'm working on a West End show called 
so see Jack and the Space Vixens, mm. which will open in December the 2nd. Mm. So at least, you know, they say, I'll do something else. I'm not just on television. Mm -hmm. And I work on a film called 66, you know, with Elena Bonancarte, which is, I do a couple of scenes for them. And then I'm off in Amer to America again. Mm -hmm. So hopefully, hopefully the show, the West End will be a hit. So I'll, <laughs> there'll be something going on here that remind people that I do something else as well. But I do enjoy, I, I cannot lie, I really enjoy doing the show. I really, really enjoy it. So when's the next American series? That will be the January second. January the 5th, second, yeah. So are you basically doing a British series, an American series, a British series, an American series from now on, are you? Well, until they want me to. You know, you, yeah. you know, I, I've signed a five years deal with America, the, with the ABC. So they have the option for five series. The BBC, I'm pretty sure they're going to do another one. Mm -hmm. Who knows? But, you know, in this business, you know, there's like... You have to take it um, one day at a time. Mm -hmm. You should really have your own series. You know. <laughs> well, Would you like that? Would you like to well, I mean, never say never. I'm, no, it's all very new to me. So yeah. it's, it's, I enjoy doing this. I, I love, you know, I'll go back to the States of the American show. And, you know, if something comes, you know, if they think, if anybody thinks I can do it, I'll have a go. Or place and date of birth, please. Oh, my God, secrets. Should I tell you my date of birth? I was born 25th November 1955 in Ferrara, Italy. Between north of Bologna, south of Venice. Right. Tell us about your family that you come from, uh, your parents, for example. Well, my parents, uh, sadly, are both dead. My father was named as Werther, my mother was Fulvia. You know, sadly, my mother died in 94, and my father died in 2001. Right. And I don't have brothers or sisters, and so it's, it's, in the 90s, I've been a terrible, yeah. it was yeah. a really, really hard time. Uh, but then again, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. Yeah, my father was a bus driver. My mother used to stitch right. car covers, you know, like, a, yeah, yeah. you know, upholstery. As their only child, you must have been absolutely everything to them. Yeah, I mean, it, the thing is, is um, there was this kind of friction, though, because they wanted me to be working in a bank, <laughs> right. which is understandable, yeah. you know, because for them, working in a bank was the ultimate achievement. It means security. Right. It means you buy your car, you've got a washing machine. And since I was very young, I knew somehow that that wasn't where I was meant to be. You know, it's this kind of sixth sense, you have to follow your own destiny. And sometimes to follow your own destiny, you have to make very hard decisions. And so I kind of dabbled in the arts as much as I could within what was available for me, where I lived, you know, go running to Rome and go to classes, this and then the other. And eventually I got offered a job when I was 18. And I, and I just left, I went to Paris and I never went back. Right. It took a long time to work out all this kind of psychological problem that comes from living, you know, and mother, father, etc., etc. But I think after, when I became successful as a choreographer, and they realized that actually I was earning my own living and I was doing what I liked to do, and it worked. I appreciate your parents were not in show business, but were there any relatives or friends of the None. family? None. My father liked to dance. My father actually was a very keen ballroom dancer. Oh, interesting. oh they loved that. He would have loved this. He would have gone insane. <laughs> Every weekend, up until my mother died, they used to go out. You know, in the my mother in the sixties, they used to, every Saturday they used to go out dancing because in northern Italy they have these kind of big ballroom clubs mm. and they're very very popular. Most Saturday nights they always used to go ballroom dancing. So this, they would have absolutely loved. What was it that first attracted your attention to show business, and how young were you? Well, I just, it was like, um, I always kind of have this kind of thing about performing, because I started as a performer, I started as a dancer, and at school, you know, I always, 
you know, when you do school plays when you're very young, and I always get in the part, and, mm -hmm. and uh, so it always works. You know what I mean? It's like it, you, you get a sense that it works. Mm -hmm. People respond to you mm -hmm. in that role mm -hmm. more than they respond to you in real life. You see what I mean? It, yeah, somehow, yeah. I always had the feeling that when you do those things, I was really me at 100%. When I'm not doing that, somehow I don't fire on all cylinders. <laughs> it doesn't mean it's like yeah. the turbo lag kicks in and something works mm -hmm. and you feel your, your function at, at your full stretch. What was it like you saw a film when you were a kid and thought? It was the great musicals to me yeah. when I was a kid, all the great American musicals because we, you know, yeah, Gene Kelly, Fred Astaire. As soon as they got the first black and white TV, you used to get all these reruns of Fred Astaire, Gene Kelly, all the great American musicals. That's really what my jaw dropped. Cabra first came out in 1970, what was it, 72, wasn't it? 70 something. Mm. I, I just couldn't believe it. I must have seen mm. it eight times. Totally mesmerized. And I knew that that's what I wanted to do. Whatever, in whichever mm. form. I didn't know I was going to become a choreographer. I had no idea what, what I was mm. going to do. If I was going to be a dancer or an actor or a singer, I didn't know. But I knew that that was the world for me. Now, I've been to Italy many, many times, and as far as I can gather, the guys there are seriously into football and, you know, being lads, really. I mean, yeah. How did the other guys particularly take to you being into things like that? Well, that's why I have to kind of develop my quick wit, because, you know, either you get bullied or you get mouthy. Mm -hmm. so did you get bullied? I did get bullied oh. at school, but I quickly kind of turned it around. Fortunately, I, my brain always worked pretty fast. In what ways were you bullied? Can you give us an example? In my early teens, when you get labelled as, you know, the gay guy or the queenie guy or that kind of... I, was, I wasn't fully developed in my... I was very self-conscious. I said, well, if this is what it is, then I kind of... You reinvent yourself. Mm -hmm. And you're like, well, this... i got to do something about it. You know, I got myself together, I changed, I kind of grown my hair, I started smoking. All right, so look a bit more macho. Yeah, right. and then I kind of always had the latest gear, and I always had the best-looking girls as my friends. Okay, yeah. I always yeah. was out with the best-looking girls in town. Mm. So if they wanted to be friends with a great-looking girl, they had to be good friends with me. If not, there was a no-go area. <laughs> so I turned it into my advantage, and I became very popular mm. in town just by kind of doing an act. Mm -hmm. I realized that, again, you, know, you have to act something that works. And I kind of re reinvented, you know, long hair, all kind of hippie, and, you know, in the early 70s, and great girls all the time, you know, and, and uh, do something that they couldn't, they really had no reason to, to attack. In what ways did they attack you? What well, I had was physically, oh, yeah, I was, I, I was somebody, I, somebody was being chased around with, a, like, a broken bottle by these lads because I was in a club, and I always danced very well. Right. And all the great-looking girls were always dancing around me or right. with me, and they were just right. bitter and jealous. Right. And then, you know, why are you, you know, you poofed, uh, why the fuck, you know, that kind of... What made them believe you were gay? What, what, what made them know you were gay? Well, because I didn't have a girlfriend. Right. <laughs> when people don't have the means to, to... They yeah. feel threatened by you. Yeah. They have to find something that is belittling mm. or something that is considered, you know, especially in Italy those days, the worst thing they can tell you is you're a queer. They don't themselves have the means to, to, to deal with it, so they have to find something and release their own deficiencies on you because you're popular or because for whatever reason. 
because I was a very pretty boy. I mean, I looked like a girl. I was very pretty, long hair, and, and maybe they were afraid of, of their own. They probably fancied me as well. At what age did you realise you were not like the other guys? Oh, I very young. Must have been 10, 11. It's a sense, you know, I didn't like playing football. I want, you know, I, oh, I wanted to watch musicals. You know, I thought, well, this is not quite right. I couldn't give a shit about football. <laughs> You know, you want to see art, yeah. and you know, and, and you know, you want to go to, uh, opera, and then they, you know, it's just, you just well, there's something here that doesn't quite equate. Mm. So I came to terms very early. I said, well, okay, honey, you know, you're not like everybody else. It's so it's very, it's very frightening because, especially where I was, there wasn't anybody else. I thought, mm. but fucking hell, I'm a you're freak. The only gay in the village. Yeah, I was the only gay in the village, for real. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and and. And I didn't have any point of rest. I thought there was something wrong with me. I said, well, well, but, you know, you just kind of have to go along with it. You have to take responsibility for it. And they said, well, you know, I've got to go keep looking until I find something or somewhere where I can be myself as I am. And if it means I have to go wherever I have to go, I have to do it. Because the choice is having a life that works for you or semi-live. You see what I mean? No, yeah. Don't live 100%. Mm -hmm. And... and it can be very, very hard, but, but uh, it's worth having a go because, you know, it's terrible saying, well, I, I could have done this or I could have done that. Because once, once the moment is gone, it won't happen again. Were you never tempted to approach the subject with your parents? No, no. The issue, unfortunately, was never raised because I left home when I was 18. I know because people have to be ready for it. Mm -hmm. And I never sensed, and I know to them it wasn't in the realm of things that they could compute. I knew that already. You better leave it. Let it go. At that time, you know, they, they don't talk about sex. No. They didn't talk about it. That is something that's not mentioned. Taboo. Catholic families, Jewish families, they're all the same, but they choose to see what they want to see. So to mama, you will never get your, your son. You know, they see what they want to see. They knew the way I lived. They knew it. I know they knew it. You think so? Yeah, of course they do. I got men hanging around the house. <laughs> I mean, it's obvious, you know, ne never had a girlfriend. Do you think they were ashamed of that, or they didn't care? They were not ashamed, they were worried, I think. They probably were more worried about what people would think mm -hmm. than what they think, you right. see what I mean? Because mm -hmm. in these kind of small Catholic towns, everybody knows your business, it's more, they're, they're so aware of what their neighbours would say, mm -hmm. or whatever, but then, then there's another thing, see, once you become famous or successful, you can be anything, mm -hmm. which is so stupid. Yeah. That changes everything, and it's such a horrible thing, I think, how money and fame yeah. can make you acceptable, mm -hmm. while if you're not famous or rich, you're not. You see what I mean? Mm -hmm. If Elton John is, oh, everybody adores him, if, mm -hmm. if there's a gay, middle-aged man, in the, they will take the piss out of him. I think that is cruel, mm -hmm. and it shouldn't be like that. We should move above and over the fact of putting people on being gay, straight, lesbian, black, white. It should just be people. Fuck all of this. There shouldn't be an issue about sexuality or, or race or anything either way. Mm -hmm. I think going politically correct to the other extreme is as bad mm -hmm. because what you do, you create even more a ghettoized mm -hmm. situation. You can't tell me I'm a poof. I tell myself I'm a poof. Who give a shit? You never fancied women? 
I tried, but it, it, I tried a few times, but it kind of, you know, some, you know, it's the same thing, like, you know, <laughs> like it didn't kind of, the, all the bells didn't ring, you know, it, it didn't have the same effect, you right. see what I mean? <laughs> you explained earlier that your dad really wanted you to be a bank manager. Yeah. Did you have rows with him about it? Did you? Got huge. Did you? Like what? Well, I wanted to go to, to art school, I wanted to mm. go to drama school, and they just refused. I went to university to do that. This kind of is called economia commercio in Italy. It's kind of a, it's like higher school, higher education to get a, a diploma, and then you would go to university to become, you know, whatever it is they do. And I said, well, you know, I do this, and I t- at eighteen I leave. I didn't know I was going to do it, but I, it actually happened. I finished. I went to Milan, and I got offered a job, and I was in Paris within four weeks. Did your parents say to you, why do you want to do this? Oh, yeah, but they always say he's going to come back in four weeks. Oh, okay. They didn't think it would last. Did you think it would last? Well, you never know. I hoped. (laughs) You never know. But I I gave it a good go. My first job was actually very successful. The first thing I did was a a show with a company, a French company called La Grande Eugène, which was a huge success all over Europe. So I, I went from a small town in the middle of nowhere to the big successful theatre show that toured all over the place. And I came to London with that show after two years touring Europe at the Roundhouse. And we had incredible reviews, the Sunday Times. I mean, it just was incredible. And I, I didn't even speak English. I taught English myself from the paper. And I, it was like the toast of town. And then after that, I went with Lindsay Kemp company. And then Lindsay Kemp decided... To closed down here because the money, the financial, he couldn't find any backer. He went to Europe and I said, well, I've got to stay in London. And then it got very, very hard. I was living like in Stockwell. I was in a horrible place. I didn't even have, I didn't even have glass in my windows. I had plastic thing. I mean, I didn't have a toilet. Very, very hard times. And I said, well, you know, I know that this is the place where I will learn. Right. You know, I wanted to learn English. I thought the people, the dance scene here was fantastic. The theatre was fantastic. i never seen anything like it before. Things I've never seen before were here. That's what I wanted. You so I stayed in London. You were to go on to work with Elton John and Freddie Mercury. How well did you get to know them? Well, pretty well. You know, we, I did the Great Pretender with Freddie, and we had a fun. You know, obviously you spend a lot of time in the studio, and you have lots of laugh, and we talk about opera and and you, incredible personality, lots of stories. He's a, a great guy. Tell us some stories, Bruno. About... Well, mostly stories are about opera because. Um, I love opera, yeah, and he likes. likes opera, so we ended up talking about Monsieur Caballé for about seven hours. Right. I love Monsieur Caballé, I adore Monsieur so we ended up talking about Monsieur Caballé, basically. Mm. And then you're working, so when you work, then you switch off, you do your job, you know, you get the set. And Elton, Elton, you know, it was when we did I'm Still Standing, and, you know, again, you see, you work, and then he, he, Elton is an incredible, very generous guy. Mm-hmm. He took, you know, all the dancers out for dinner... At the Negresco, he's a great guy. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. he really, there really isn't. See, when you're professional and you do your job, mm-hmm. you deal with people at a professional level, and there isn't, in, in his, 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 the situation is very clear. Mm-hmm. There aren't any ifs and buts or where and how. Uh, you do your good job, they do a good job, you have a great time, and you go home. Towards and he's a very generous person. You never became friends with him as such. No, not because I finished the jobs and then I moved to another job. You mm-hmm. see, I never, I never kind of, uh, I mean, I know him. I saw him recently. We say hello. You know, he's like, but I never became going visit because uh, 
you know, I was a dancer and I had all, you know, the time and, and he's the star and he's, and he's cool. How but he's very you, polite and he's very nice. How did you feel when Freddie Mercury got AIDS and died? Well, it, it was very depressing because he actually died on my birthday, 25th of November. And it, it was very, very sad. But for everybody, it's devastating because he's such a great talent and he could have given another 20 years of, of incredible entertainment. And, and, but he wasn't. Many, many people died, you know, like Freddie that I knew, that everybody in the industry. It was a terrible, terrible time. Fortunately, things have gone better, and, and uh, hopefully, you know, they will put money and find a cure, and, and um, the situation will get better. How did the HIV epidemic affect your own life? Well, I mean, you lose a lot of friends. I mean, you know, there is a generation that um, that has disappeared, mm. and anybody in this industry, obviously, by in, in has tons of stories of Ian Charles. I mean, there's so many people that. You know, if to name them all, uh, but we all have. Like, there is a generation that's been wiped out. But you know, look in the bright side, things have gone better, and hopefully people will take care of themselves. You know, and 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 hopefully governments will do something to eradicate this scourge. But but the thing that now is this day and age is really is in Africa. The situation is just beyond belief. When the epidemic hit, everybody especially in the gay community, was worrying sick about, you know, had they suddenly become infected, were you...? Well, I mean, you have to, you know, the thing is, obviously, everybody is worried, but, you know, you have to kind of go on living and take precautions, and, you know, and, and you cannot just stop... You have to live, you know, life goes on. Mm. You know, life goes on, and you have to carry on, and you have to make sure, you know, you look after yourself. Worrying or not worrying won't make any difference. Mm. You see I mean? It's like people, as again, you take responsibility of your life. I think worrying doesn't change anything if you get it or if you don't. Worry won't make any difference. So you have to, you have to be, okay, take care of yourself, be positive and move on. Are you one for long-term relationships? Yes, yeah, are? yeah. Would you ever get married? Have you ever got married? <laughs> no, I wouldn't marry if I was straight. <laughs> no, no, I mean, I mean gay marriage. No. You're not going to believe I don't, I don't believe in marriage. Because I think it, it, marriage is something that was created... Thousands of years ago, because relationships were kind of... People were dying at, well, at the age of 40, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and it made sense at the time. I think if you trust somebody, you don't need to put it on paper. You don't need to have a lawyer. Mm-hmm. You know if you trust somebody, and you don't need to kind of make it like a... You know, something that is bureaucratic of... I don't know, it's always something... So many marriages kind of end up in disaster... Mm-hmm. And and uh, relationship that you, when you keep it, when you respect another person, and and you trust another person, that's all you need, I think. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, you know there are obviously for fin- if you have kids, for fin- you have, for financial reasons, it has become almost like a business now. But I, I um, personally, there's something about it that is, I don't know. <laughs> what about this thing about gay people having children now, adopting children? And so if that's what they want to do, if it's full, I think it's great, it's wonderful. I think people in my business, if you're in this industry, you really have to know what you do. Because kids, are, you really have to give them a lot. You have to really dedicate, you can't just, they're not a hobby. Mm-hmm. A child is a person, and they need you. You've got to be with them, especially in the first, 
in the formative years, in, in the first few years of the, you cannot just be in America for six months mm -hmm. and have a nanny. Mm -hmm. I, I think that is terrible. And um, I would not do it unless I knew I could be a good parent. And uh, I don't know if the situation I'm in mean, now, I could be a good parent because, mm -hmm. because you have to be around. People need you. Kids need you. You have to be there for them constantly mm -hmm. for the first at least three or four years of your life because that, that's how you get your sense of security, how you get the sense of love. How you get, and, and, you know, if you're off to do a film, if you're off to do this mm. for six months, well, who's going to look after mm. your kid? A nanny? Well, what's, a nanny's not a mummy. What do you say to people, probably homophobic people, who say it's not right that gay people... No, that is nonsense, right? because, you know, I think a good parent is a good parent, you know, it doesn't really... People in marriage that are appalling parents, that they create, you know... You know, miss society. They don't give. I mean, they should be. The children should be taken from them. Mm. Uh, so that is, you know, I think gay people would make wonderful parents, mm -hmm. as would be any sort of people. Mm -hmm. You see what I mean? It's like you know, it's, there are good people that get bad people, and people that are respond not good and bad. Responsible people or irresponsible people mm -hmm. is irrelevant. You know, if you're gay or straight or whatever, that is not a question of of sexual inclination is sec mm. is a question of how a person is. Helena Bonham Carter, yeah. you're working with at the yeah, moment, yeah. is she into Strictly Come Dancing? Yeah, she loves the show. In fact, she watched it last year. Mm -hmm. oh, everybody loves the show. Are you ever tempted to try and get people like that on the show to say to her, look, Helena, come and enjoy this? Uh, no, but actually, I just mm. met her for this film. You know, and I, it's not really my position to invite people on the show right. because it's, it's uh, the producer of the BBC that have a kind of, you know, they, they approach people directly. Okay. You know, I, I can, and as a judge anyway, it would be very uncomfortable to have a friend. It's actually, I prefer to Don't have people know. that I never met before. And is there anyone, though, that you'd like to have on the show you think would be a great laugh to have on? <laughs> oh, there's quite a few. Who could we have for a very laugh? Of Dawn French, because oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. she's a fabulous mover. Right, is she? Sure, she's she, she's a very very good mover. Right. She can dance. She's good. Mm. She's very very good. That'd be very funny. Yeah. I think they're great. I love the girls. They're yeah. so funny. Jennifer is just a genius, and and um, Dawn is hysterical, and I really do like them a lot. Mm -hmm. And how do you think you would get on? Because I imagine some of these celebrities must be thinking, yeah, right. Oh, there's no way I would do it. No way. Because it's like asking Simon Cowell to sing. You know, you, you, you know, end, finished. I stopped dancing 20 years ago, never again. I'd do anything else. I'd sing, I'd whatever. I'd, but dance, that is, that, that is a chapter that I've done it for, you know, that I stopped, the last dancing job was Absolute Beginnings in 1980. Oh, right, that film. And that's that. Yeah. That's it. That's the yeah. chapter, it's over. You know, video yeah, but that was just like that was 1986 as yeah. well. But that's it. You see, never again. Dancing is, you know, once you become a choreographer, you you just, hmm. you know, that's it. You, you, you go clubbing then? No, not anymore. Right. No, I just <laughs> too many things to do. Do you think your parents became proud of your success? Because you undoubtedly are very successful. Do you think your parents came to terms with this? Oh, yeah, no, they did. They were very proud when they, you know, you know because once they, they came here, they stayed here, they, you know, they met the girls, they met... Uh, met which girls? Yeah, Bananarama. You know, we, we had barbecues in the garden. And, no, it, it all turned out fine, mm. but it took a good ten years. Was there anything either of them said to you that 
really meant a lot to you? Like, you know, Bruno, we're really proud of you. You've been, you know, uh, but you know, Northern Italian are a bit like British people. They're not like the Southern type of Italian. They're very, you know it from the way they speak. Right, the reserved. Yeah. They're not too kind of sweetie darling, all of that mm -hmm. stuff. But you can sense it in the way that you know. Mm -hmm. You know, you know when you know. I knew they were proud, I knew that. When did they stay here? They stayed here in 92. The year before my mother died, yeah. Right. No, I saw them once oh. a year. Mm -hmm. Either I went, they came here one year and I went to Christmas for a few mm -hmm. days. I saw them once a year, that was there. Mm -hmm. When they came here to stay, did you sleep on your own so they didn't think there's... To... Well, I always sleep on my own anyway. Oh, do you? Oh, yeah, no, I can't have a... <laughs> no way, I never... <laughs> I can't sleep with somebody else. Yeah, no, I always separate bedrooms. Separate bathrooms, right. separate closets. Yeah, yeah, and I'm very, very, I'm very individual. I, I don't, I want my space. I, right. I appreciate space and I like people to have their own space. Right. I'm kind of very progressive. Okay. <laughs> I'm not into that kind of, oh no, no way. Mm. And did your parents live in the same community till they died? Yeah. I just had to rebury them this last week. Really? Because they were in two different cemeteries. Oh because of bureaucratic confusion. So this year I just I organised to put them together in the same tomb, yeah. in the cemetery where my grandfather and my, my grandmother are buried and my mother's sister and my mother's mother, so they're all in the same, same, area, in the same village. Ferrara. No, that is, a, is, a, is in another place called Porotto, which is a, a tiny little village outside Ferrara from which my mother came from. And being an only child, having lost both your parents, did it dawn on you at some point, God, I'm, I'm alone in the world now? Yeah, but when your mother or your father... You, first is the mortality issue. You come to realise that, that death exists, and, you, and that is something that, again, you have to accept, mm -hmm. is, is life. But the, the fact of being alone, I think, is... Um, to a certain extent, we always are... A bit of us is always alone, you know, it's, it's, it's a fallacy. As individual, there's always a side of us that will be alone, and, and again, you have to learn to to live with that and accept that, and and, and it's part of life. It's, it's part of being an individual, you know. But having come to terms with your mortality, did it make you have a better perspective on what you want to do with your future? Say, for instance, not devote so much time to work and maybe see a bit more of the world. And... But I've been fortunate. I've seen a lot of the world, which with my work have been, you know, almost everywhere. Uh, but again, you see, when you have something you like, you like to do, it is your reason to be. So there isn't a, com a conflict, you know, it, it goes with it. That's what I do, and is being who you are. So there isn't really a conflict between work and your, call it a mission, call it whatever you want to, or your being yourself, because um, for me it's not just work, it's just something that I enjoy doing. Mm -hmm. I don't feel I'm kind of missing out on anything. And away from work, what do you enjoy doing? Yoga, gardening, well, travelling, but I, I love the tropics. I love the tropics. Tropical islands, you know, Maldives, Seychelles, Caribbean, but I, I love that. Africa is fantastic, you know, mm. Kenya, South Africa, you know, the... Oh, it's just, it's enchanting. There is something about the wilderness and the animals and the nature. It's just... It's like the Garden of Eden, really. I mean, it really puts you in touch with something sublime and unique and, and divine. But my work is my hobby as well, you see, so it's kind of, you yeah. know, I, I feel very blessed when I can actually work and do something that I like mm -hmm. 
and earning a living doing it and, and uh, hopefully giving pleasure to people. I think that is basically, you know, if I can do that, I'm very, I'm very happy. Yes. I'm very unhappy when I don't work. I'm a miserable git. Mm. Do really. you have a holiday home anywhere? No, no. Right. <laughs> no I'm, not, I mean, I'm, not, I'm not that famous yet. <laughs> well, I'm sure it will be long now. Would you buy a place in Italy? I don't know. There? I never, I never think of it that way. It's like you know, I don't, uh, you know, I, I like a place to live. You know, I like a nice place to live, and and uh, I like a place in. I mean, if I could afford it, I probably would have a place in an island somewhere. But you know, I can't afford it, so it's no point even thinking about it. <laughs> you must miss the Italian climate. Though. Well, where I come from, actually, the climate is horrible. Oh, is it? Gotcha. The north, northern Italy is very cold in winter, much colder than mm. here. In the summer, it's so hot and, 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 and humid that it's actually uncomfortable. It's not like being on the coast in the south of Sicily or in the Ligurian coast. It's like, the, it's like a continental weather. It's almost like you know, in the mid-states in America, in the Po Valley, in, in, it's very, very humid. A very cold and humid winter and very, very hot and humid summers. So weather-wise, it's, it's not like you know, southern Italy or the coast of Italy or... Um, How have you kept your accent so strong? Well, because I never had a chance of... <laughs> I don't know, I have no idea. Because it's still, you know... Oh, yeah. But because I taught myself English, I didn't go to school. So, you know, when you go to school, they teach you to, to yeah. pronounce and allocution. So I learned it from deduction by watching television and forcing myself to read it on Sunday time, page to page even if I didn't understand and try to deduce what a word meant. So I can't spell. My spelling is appalling, but it did work. It took me two years, and I did it. But I never went to school for it, so is that, that's why I got a very funny accent. And when I get tired, I get a bit. It gets worse. <laughs> Do you have any mementos of Italy or of your parents at this house in this house of yours? No, because it's kind of a bit. Uh, it's a bit like a relic, isn't it? And he's gone. He's gone. You have to move on. Well, I got my mother's wedding ring, right. which I wear nice. all the time. This yeah. is, you know. But, you know, you've got to live in the, in the moment. You've got to live into, you know, you have to learn to live into the now. You have to accept the past, look forward to the future, but it's now that counts. And I don't want to live on a relic, you know. And How long have you lived here in this flat? 1991. Do you think you'll stay here for, for a long time? Do you think you'll come Who knows? Right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, well, I like it now. Yeah. yeah, it's very good. You've got great neighbours. You know, it's very quiet. You've got lovely gardens. I mean, obviously, I like to have a, a garage because I like drive. I love cars. What have you got? Uh, a Jaguar, an XK8. Right. Great car. Uh, Jaguar looked after me wonderful. They're really good. But I, when I can afford it, I want a place with a garage because it's just, it's just parking. It's getting, you know, leaving the car on the road for yeah. two months is such a worry. And hopefully one day I'll be able to afford a house with a garage. In London, they stay in London. Oh yeah, definitely. They always have a place in London. London gave me everything I have. But I mean, you know, if things are going the way that they are, you could really get some beautiful place somewhere. Well, I hope so. <laughs> Let you know. <laughs> I haven't got it yet. <laughs> There's a long way to go. <laughs> How long have you smoked for? Um, I stopped for seven years, and I started again in New York two years ago. I did a film called Ella Enchanted, I went to the New York opening mm -hmm. and um, you couldn't smoke anywhere. <laughs> mm -hmm. And then there was all the kind of, the young and, 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 you know, and 
fun people. We went to these restaurants and, and all the people I wanted to talk to they were, <laughs> kept leaving the table and going out. Mm. And so you went out with them to carry on the conversation. They were all smoking, so you're sitting. And I took one and that's it, you're hooked again. But I will stop again. When had you started as a youngster? Oh, in Italy at 14. 14? Mm. Everybody smoked. I bet you hid that from your parents. But they smoked as well. Did they? Yeah, both, so yeah. When did you tell them you were a smoker? Oh, I used to give, get cigarettes from my mother. Really? At 14? Yeah. Really? Everybody smoked. I suppose in those days they didn't realise the dangers. No, smoking. everybody yeah. smoked. God. And how many are you on now? Pack a day. That's what, 20 is it? 20, yeah. And what's been your worst? Oh, I never smoked more. Oh, really? Yeah, I, got, I have a cut-off point. Right. I never smoked more than 20. Sometimes less. 20 when I, actually when I'm tired or under pressure, I smoke more, but never more than 20. And do you exercise much? Does yeah. Does choreography yeah. keep you fit? <laughs> Go in the front of a company and do 19 numbers in a week, in a month. Oh. <laughs> I'll keep you very fit. <laughs> and looking back on your career, what are you most proud of? Well, there's quite a lot of... I mean, Little Voice, I'm very proud. Yeah, great film, great film. Very, very proud. Did you proud. the stage show as well? You know, I did the film, I didn't do the, the stage show, I did the film. I was very proud of. I'm very proud of Gathering Storm. I think it was a very good movie. What did you do in that? That's the Churchill? Yeah, there's a theatre scene. Okay. Then uh, L.A. Enchanted, I think, is great kids movie. You mm -hmm. know, I just did a couple of years ago. Underappreciated. You know, it was reviewed as it, you know, like Gosford Park. It's a kids movie. Mm. He's a fan kids movie that, he's, that kids love and mm. he's just crazy. You know, sometimes I don't know these people what they look for. But he's a, I think he's a great movie. I'm very proud of it. I'm very proud of lots of you know, videos I did with Tina Turner, all the stuff I did with Bananarama, the stuff I did with Steve Coogan, you know, Tony mm. Farino, the stage show. Well, there's quite a, quite a few things I have to kind of read because mm. I don't kind of, you know, I say anything. Once I do something, mm. he's gone mm. in the, you know what I mean? I'm proud of the show now, I think it's great. How good a friend is Steve? He's somebody I worked with, I did the Tony Freedom show, yeah, I did the stage Tony show, and he's a, I mean, we're not close friends, mm. but you know, obviously when you work with somebody over a long period of time, you get to know each other. He's a, again, very bright, very, very mm. funny, and a perfectionist, and I've actually learned a lot from him. I saw him at, a, at an award thing, I can't remember what mm. it was, and we had a good laugh, you know, he's always, he's very funny and... Does he like the show? He yeah, he loves the show and, and you know, but he's in America, see, mm -hmm. he's like, and so, oh, well, he's the same thing, so you got to get together. Mm -hmm. you, you, when people have careers, they, they, it's difficult to keep in touch, you know, in, until your, your path connects again. Mm. Were you responsible for Tony Farino's accent? No, it, it was supposed to be Portuguese. I know it was, but... Uh, but no, well, I, it was kind of... Um, all the stance yeah. and the and the the attitude, mm -hmm. you know, we worked a lot on the way, the mm -hmm. presentation yeah, of the yeah, character yeah. and the body language, and all the dance numbers and all the musical numbers, uh, and I taught him how to, to walk as a woman. He couldn't walk as a woman. He just like, the dreadful dress. Oh, he couldn't do it. Why did Tony Freeno need to? Walk no, because we in the stage show. We do, he, he plays a character. Oh yes, that's right. Well, I still say. Yeah. yeah, and and. Um, Was it supposed to be Engelbert Humperdinck or something? I think it was a bit ahead of his time. I think Tony Farina was almost like, you know, these Ali G things. Yeah, and I think yeah, yeah, yeah. it was actually premature. People yeah. were not ready. I think if Tony Farina, after Ali G, Little Britain, mm. uh, uh, it was, people were horrified. Mm. They didn't get, it was so rude. They were, it was 10 years, 10 years early, too early. 
if he did it now, people would be ready for that. But, but they didn't quite get it. You know, it was too much for the time. It was ahead of its times. Now you get things that, you know, Ricky Gervais, uh, he, I think things would be ready for it now. But uh, in fact, we were talking about, oh God, we should really have done it now. But, you know, now he's, 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 he's in America, he's doing films and, you know. Maybe, maybe, hopefully he'll do it again. I think he will be taken in the right context now. Mm -hmm. At the time there was nothing like it. People didn't know how to react to it. Mm -hmm. But the show won awards. It was very, you know, it, but the, the, it was too advanced for the audience of the time. One of the reasons we really like watching you as a judge is because all, despite all the funny comments you make, you're very sensitive to the artists, to the performers. Do you think that's because you know what it's like to be there yourself? Well, yeah, it's, 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 uh, it's because I respect them. Even if I, if I take the mickey out of them, I do respect what they mm. do mm. because I know what it's like. I know where they come from, so, mm. so I have a lot of respect for them. But having been bullied yourself as a youngster, you you wouldn't want to persecute somebody, presumably. You know what it's like to be on the receiving end of something. Yeah, but there's a way of doing things, mm. you see. There is, mm. there is a way of doing things, mm. you know. But I, my bullying event, I mean, is, is nothing. I mean, it's, you know, it's being pushed against the wall once, you remember? Mm. I mean, you know, I, I got over it very quickly. <laughs> you know, I'm not, it's not something that I... You know, it's, it's just because you mentioned yeah. it, I forgot all about yeah, it. You know, it's not, yeah. it's not a traumatic event in my life. You know, it's, it's something that I cope with it very quickly and, you know... It's What's been the most traumatic event of your life? Well, the death of my mother. Right. You know, that, the, the death of the mother is, is something that you never... You think is never going to happen. Yeah. You know, it's like the death of a child, I suppose. There are probably the two worst things because you never think it's going to happen to you. Did it change you as a person, do you think? Uh, well, yeah, you grow up very quickly. Mm. You have to, but it took a long. It takes a long time to get over it. It's crazy. Sometimes grief makes you almost feel more alive. You know, it's like you, every color is brighter. Mm. You become. You go into a kind of. I think there's a defense mechanism that kicks in, mm. that you operate at 110 percent, and then after a while, it changes. It goes through different stages. Of, of the feelings mm. is very, very bizarre and it's very kind of strange what it does to your system. Mm -hmm. Well, initially, it's, it's like an electric jolt. Then you go into the second phase where you become almost comatose and you don't know what you do anymore. And then you have to come into terms with it, which is, which is very hard. But that is the thing that people have to do, which it takes a long time, is to accept it. Mm. It's only when you really accept it that the process of healing starts by questioning it, how, why, you only prolong the pain. It's a very difficult process that everybody deal with in different ways. You know. Do you have an ambition to be remembered after you're gone? Oh, no, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I think, I think, you know, do what you have to do now. I think, when, you know, it's like, I, I, I can't plan that far in advance. You know, it's like, it's, it's, um, I never really thought about it, you know, it's mm -hmm. not something that I, that I dwell on. Mm -hmm. uh, but I'm asking, I mean, how would you like people to remember you, as a nice guy? Well, I don't I mean, it's, it's not for me to say, because people have different opinions. I only want to do what I want to do, and hopefully do it well. Mm -hmm. And then people can make their own conclusion with it. I think, I think it's none of my responsibility, <laughs> you know. I can only do my own things on my own way, and, and do it now, and, you know, see what happens. I mean, I don't... 
I'm not ready to write an epitaph. And he's, anyway, it's not for me to say so. It's up to them to say. I mean, you know, I don't know what people think of me. You know, is is um, you know, hopeful is good. If he's not, I, I mean, it won't make any difference. You're gone. Mm. <laughs> you, know, not, you know, I'm not gonna. You know, you're gone. We'll see what happens. It'll probably be another. Hopefully, be another adventure. I don't know.